All right, let's go to John 1. We're going to start a new little series. For the last 12 weeks or so, we've been talking about um, different aspects of real active worship. It was really kind of interesting because we were talking about aspects of, of how we live out our worship of God in day-to-day life. Uh, today, we're going to start through the spring months. Doesn't that sound good? Spring months. All of a sudden, that just sounded really good to me. It's coming, I hope. Um, uh, today, we're going to be, we're going to kind of make just a little bit of a shift, not much, and talk about what it means to live in the power of the Spirit of God. I really think both of these subjects have dovetailed well into what Matt's dealing with on Sunday morning, uh, which I've really thoroughly enjoyed uh, his teaching. What does it mean to live in the Spirit of God? And we're, we'll talk about that a little more next week from John 14, if you want to read. But for this week, we're going to talk about um, a, a little bit about um, kind of Jesus um, coming on the scene in ministry, and um, and we're even going to use a little bit of that scene from where the Spirit lights on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. And we'll talk about what the significance of that was, uh, it, both in, for them and for us. Now, let's talk for just a minute about John the Baptist. What do you know about him? He ate funny stuff. Patty says he ate locusts. You know, it's interesting that that stuff that he ate was kosher. But it was. You know, it was ceremonial, ceremonial or, or, you know, clean. And yet he ate funny things. Okay. What else? Okay. Mom and dad were Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were, it was a priestly family. It was another one of those miracle births. Yep, yep. When, before John was conceived, an angel told him John was coming on the scene. And Zechariah barely, basically said, get out. And he was the forerunner, which we're going to talk about today. Now, um, so it, it, the rest of that story, Zechariah was struck dumb for nine months till John was born. And he breaks the silence in naming John, John. Okay, now, John the Baptist is a very interesting and critical character to us understanding Jesus. And and I've got to kind of come to terms with this more and more and more. If I'm going to fully understand who Jesus is, I've got to kind of understand John's pivotal place in in, uh, Christian history, in the story of the gospel. For almost 400 years... The Bible had been silent. For almost 400 years, no prophet had risen in Israel to speak to um, uh, God's word to the people. Uh, In fact, the last of those prophets in your Bible, so the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, ends his book by predicting that the prophet Elijah would one day reappear to cause people to remember the law of Moses. That's kind of the last word from the Old Testament is that idea about the promise of Elijah. But as years and decades and then centuries passed, this promise seemed kind of less and less like it was really going to come to pass. And so John enters the scene in this kind of controversial ministry that we'll talk about in the wilderness around the Jordan River area, which is near where Elijah himself had ascended to heaven in a fiery chariot. You know that story from the Old Testament? 
that was near where John begins his ministry. So people start making this, this it kind of arouses all kinds of interest in what's this guy up to? Um, uh, what is his place? Why is he doing these kinds of things? Um, not only just his lifestyle, the things he ate, the things he wore, but, um, but this kind of where he was doing it, which led, for some of his contemporaries at least, to speculate that Elijah himself had returned. Okay, um, uh, Now, this was a speculation that John over and over and over again denied. Now, um, you don't need to be looking for somebody to be reincarnated or for Elijah to come back. That's not me, he said. Real clearly, instead, John identifies himself as the one crying in the wilderness. Stella, you talked about it just a minute ago. That was identified in, in, John, in Isaiah 40, verse 3. John picks up on that, there's going to be a voice coming before the Messiah comes. And John picks up, that's his role. Um, Zechariah was kind of promised that even from nine months before his birth, Debbie. The only thing I think is it, it's tied to Malachi 4. If you go to Malachi 4, verse 4, 5, and 6, there's this idea that Elijah's coming back before the Messiah comes. And so they see this guy. He's in that area. Elijah himself was a little bit weird. Can I say that in Sunday school? Elijah was not a, he was a different kind of guy. So you got this guy dressed weird, eating weird stuff, and preaching loud. And so they, I think that's kind of why they're making the, plus it was in the region where they last saw Elijah, you know, several hundred years before, I think, okay? No, it's not because they believe in reincarnation. In fact, um, heaven forbid for, for a Jewish person to think that. Yeah. So, this is kind of the scenario that's set up. Now, um, the most distinctive feature of John's ministry was this baptism deal, okay? It wasn't something that was done. Um, they were really... A kind of interested in cleansing the Jewish person was. In fact, it got even worse in Jesus' time. Jesus was constantly criticized because he didn't wash his hands enough. You can read about that in the Gospels. So they were interested in you washing your hands. In fact, if a person thought they were kind of ritually or, or spiritually unclean, they might go to a river of running water and bathe in a river. Might do it. But what's the difference between that and what John was doing? This was somebody doing that for you. That wasn't done. Okay? Um, that wasn't a normal occurrence. So there's all kinds of strange things happen as God's silence is cracked open 400 years after another prophet has spoken. And John heralds the way. And we're going to look at that scene today of Jesus' baptism and how important it is. Now, Bob, would you mind to go to John 1? We're going to start at verse 29 today, okay? And read down to 31. Really important theology here that we'll deal with. 
But it begins with three little words we've got to kind of understand, and I don't completely understand it yet, okay? But we've got to deal with the words, the next day, okay? The next day. Probably, John is reflecting on Jesus' baptism here, it looks like, which I think may have happened the day before, okay? There's a next day issue here. We've got to kind of come to terms with what's going on, um, so we're going to look at some of the other Gospels to get the detail on Jesus' baptism. But this may very well have been the next day John's teaching again and he's reflecting on what happened the day before. Just kind of keep that in your mind a little bit, okay, as we go through. Now, my question here is, what are some things that Jesus, the Lamb, that he is identified here in verse 29 by John as Jesus, the Lamb of God. We're going to look, look at that for a minute. What is John saying that he can do that can't be done by anyone else? Okay, it, that's, could it be more important? I don't think so. Jesus, don't, behold, he doesn't call him Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, let's, let's think about this for just a minute. We're going to look at a couple of places. Uh, can I pass out a couple of scriptures for a couple of folks to look at? I need somebody to go to 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Thanks, John. And then Isaiah 53, 7. That was a little harder to find. Somebody get that one? Thank you, Jan. All right, now. Um, I think understanding these words, the Lamb and the Lamb of God, are essential for not, not only us understanding what, what John came to do, but certainly understanding what Jesus came to do. Okay. I'm looking at the clock. I want to be sure I don't get us late to church. Is that right? I know it's an hour off, but is it right otherwise? Okay. Okay. I'm just, you know, I've got to watch that, and I know where i got to go to. I'll watch the big hand. I'll leave the little hand alone. I just, but I want to be sure. Well, maybe the whole thing's goofed up, you know. My watch is really goofed up. I've got to, I got to set both hands, Joe. Okay. Now, uh, listen to what, how Paul identifies Jesus, after the resurrection, he makes a, a connection with Passover, the, which is the, um, the 4th of July of the Jewish nation. Okay. Um, John, read 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ. This is, an, this is early... Theological teaching here. Christ is our Passover lamb. Now, let's think for a minute about what the Passover lamb was to do because I think it's critical to us understanding John's identification. I don't think John's identifying him in the way that Paul does here. What did the Passover lamb do? The Passover lamb was dinner. Passover lamb was not sacrificial. The Passover lamb was dinner. Remember, on the night, as the, as the death angel passed through, they were, to, they were to, to use the blood from the Passover lamb over the doorpost. That was to save them, right? But then they ate the Passover lamb. I mean, they had to eat it all. And they didn't eat it all. They had to do something with it, okay? So it's interesting here that John doesn't make the connection. He's not thinking, I think, specifically about the Paschal lamb as and by the way, we can certainly call him our Paschal Lamb. I don't want to, you 
can you go to heaven if you argue with the Apostle Paul? I don't want to do that, okay? But John here, I think, is not identifying Exodus 12 or whatever that chapter is. John's identifying Jesus with Isaiah 53. There's another, there's a different role the lamb plays. Um, okay, Jan, you got Isaiah 53, 7? He's led like a lamb to slaughter. There's your sacrificial lamb. Now, there's another little piece of theology you've got to deal, got to deal with here. I, I put a reference to Hebrews 10.4 in your outline. By the way, did you get an outline? It's probably got the wrong date on it. I've been in here teaching this for a week now. I ought to be ready, yet. I mean, according to Hebrews, the Hebrews writer says, you know, the blood of bulls and goats never did take away sin. It was, it was to get us ready for the real thing, kind of the book of Hebrews says. So the idea here is the sacrifice of the lamb is all important. And so as John identifies Jesus, he identifies him with the lamb who is slain. It couldn't be more important, right? So you see how, how important John's ministry is here? We're going to look at, it, at his baptism in a minute, how important that is. Now, John's claim here, okay, is a funny claim in verse 30. It's, he kind of sounds a little bit like Shecky Green here. Or, or who's it? Norm, uh, who's the guy that always talked in, oh. remember that guy? It wasn't Shecky Green, it was Norm somebody, but anyway, he would always say the wrong word at the wrong time. This almost kind of sounds like that, because he says, somebody read it in the NIV, verse, uh, verse 30. If you got the NIV, read it. And it comes after me and surpassed me because he was before me. Now, I under, my understanding of this is literally the words read, you ready? The man coming behind me has become ahead of me because he was before me. Now, if I have trouble understanding that, what do you suppose the folks that are hanging out with John on the Jordan thought? <laughs> what? What? He's eating too much locust. You know, I mean... The man who coming behind me has become ahead of me because he was before me. That's kind of literally what he said. You remember the uh, like 1985 movie Back to the Future? Remember that one? Now my kids, because they're 80s kids, just love that. In fact, Jake, uh, when he was working here in children's ministry, built some kind of a version of the flux capacitor, which had to do with that DeLorean, that, that old boy... Uh, Marty, you know that guy. They, 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 they were, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, it was a time machine, right? And the problem was, while while Marty was looking it over, Marty McFly was played by uh, Michael J. Fox. While he was looking it over, he pushed the wrong button, and it sent him back thirty years. And now he meets his dad and mom in high school. 
And for the next, for the rest of the movie, he's trying to correct the ripple in time that that messes with. In fact, his mom kind of gets sweet on him. It, it, it's just all the goofy thing. And so he has to coach his dad on being a little more cool. And so he'll get mom's attention so that he can eventually be born. What a story, huh? Okay. Because he's got to get all this to happen before he can go, you ready? Back to the future. Well, here's what John is dealing with here, and it couldn't be more important. Turn, we're in chapter 1. Look at the first two verses of the Gospel of John. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word. Now, when you see capital W, you need to think Christ or Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What John is dealing with here, John understands something that nobody else except Jesus knows. That Jesus wasn't, didn't come into being in a manger in Bethlehem. That's not what we're dealing with here. Um, John has thousands of followers at this time. And he's teaching all of them uh, it might, my ministry kind of began a few months before his did, but you got to know that he is way older than me. Now, those who know chronology would say, now, wait a minute, John, you're at least six months older, according to the gospel record and the gospel of Luke, you're at least six months older than Jesus. He's saying, no, you got to understand, this is the ancient of days, <laughs> Before I ever came on the scene, he was. He came before me. He understands the eternal nature of Jesus. And therefore, as he makes this connection, he was before all of this, he says. He is making the point here, and this is what you need to put in your blanket by verse 30. His claim, John's claim means there can be no question about Jesus' authority. He has always been. Now, by the way, that is an incredibly hard concept to pick up, that Jesus was and is and is to come, as it says in the book of Revelation. But that's what John's teaching here. He wasn't deluded about any of that. He understood it. And he understood, verse 31, that his larger work, his baptism, literally, was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. He understands that way back. He kind of identified himself from this voice crying in the wilderness in, John, in Isaiah 40. Let's go there. Somebody mind to turn us to, to Isaiah 40? And I'll kind of follow you there. Isaiah 40, verse 3. John is the one make is that voice in the wilderness. Does he live in the wilderness? Yep. Does he have a voice? A loud one. By the way, some, some scholars believe that John could have had as many, at, at the time of the baptism of Jesus, some scholars believe that John could have had as many as 10,000 followers. People coming to see him, hear him preach. You, know, you remember that 
Remember the story, Herod himself was intrigued by John's message. Uh, it kind of, you know, in, in some of the movies depict that, he's kind of hanging back in the crowd, just listening to what John has to say. So uh, the idea here is that John, his, his baptism even, takes a pivotal, occupies a pivotal role in, you and, in, in the gospel story and certainly in our understanding it. In many ways, and here's where we're going to go next, in many ways, Jesus' identity, Jesus' true identity as the Word of God from John 1, 1 and 2. By the way, in case anybody's in here, this is, I don't need to assume anything about this. The Gospel of John was written by one of the 12 disciples, St. John, sometimes called St. John the Divine. This is a different John. Okay, This is literally Jesus' cousin. It's Jesus, they're probably second cousins or something uh, akin to that. Okay, This is uh, the one who was the son of Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, who was promised in Luke 1. Okay, now, so it, there's really this picture here that we're going to look at in a second, that Jesus' true identity as the Word of God, the Eternal One, the Creator, is revealed in Jesus' baptism. It's kind of an interesting piece of this whole thing, and we're going we're gonna to look at that now. Now, um, somebody mind to go to Hebrews 4.15? Sometimes, it, theologically, I wonder if I could even live without Hebrews 4.15, without the truth of that. Um, somebody go there, Hebrews 4.15? Everybody's turning. Somebody gets there, read it. Steve? If he was, in fact, sinless, Jesus sinless. And the picture I'm getting in my mind as I've studied this over the last couple weeks is Jesus didn't go to the front of the line. He waited in line to be baptized by John the day before. Okay, You ever been in one of those unending lines? How do you all do it? I mean... If, if I ever see you at the grocery store, am I going to want to get behind you because your line always goes fast? Because you don't want to get behind me. Whatever, you know, I count the people in line and, and kind of look at how much they got in their cart, you know, that whole thing. So it, it, invariably, I can get behind the shortest line with the, with the least stuff in the cart and something breaks. And it, so you don't want to ever get behind me in the grocery store line. My line will be the slowest and we'll get, I'll get out of there the, the last. Pat, can I follow you? Do you get through quick? Okay, see, we're going to follow Pat. All right. Not me. Don't you just hate waiting in an unending line? I, I find it intriguing here that if Jesus was sinless, why did he wait in line to get baptized? John was baptizing for repentance. The repentance. Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. Why would he wait in line? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I want us to look at it. But we're going to have to go to the other Gospels to kind of deal with this. Um, so, can I, I'm going to pass out four or five verses real quick because we need to go to them real quick. Mark 1, 9. Somebody raise a hand. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, Matthew three fourteen. Thank you, John. 
Matthew 3, 15. Miriam, great. Uh, Mark, uh, so Mark 1, 9, Cindy, we'll hit it twice because there's a couple things we want to hit. And then Matthew 3, 16. It's all kind of together. Thanks, John. And Matthew 3, 17. Somebody get that one? Looking. Okay, you just get them both. Great. Okay, now, all right. There's an important sequence of events that happens, I think, if I'm reading this right, the day before when Jesus is baptized. John's reflecting on it to the people who are still coming to hear him preach. He says, let me tell you what happened yesterday. That's where we are in John 1, 29 and following. Okay? But the day before, Jesus comes to the Jordan where John is preaching and baptizing to be baptized. He stands in a line to be baptized. He gets there, and some pretty amazing things happen. Now, let's look at them kind of uh, in, in sequence of how they happened, all right? Um, first, Mark 1, 9. Okay, Jesus asked John, he comes and asks John for baptism. So there, there's some dialogue around that. We don't see it in this particular verse, but the idea is that Jesus comes, he gets to the front of the line, says, I want to be baptized by you. Okay, now, now let's look at it, something else that happens here. Let's go to Matthew 3.14. Okay, now what I'm going to suggest to you is that John initially resists baptizing Jesus. Now I find this intriguing. John recognized Jesus before John was born. You know that story? Incredible story. Uh, and and, and uh, Elizabeth tells Mary what, you know, what the situation is. Um, um, you're carrying my Lord, she says. John recognizes that in the womb, in his mother's womb. So it's not that John doesn't, I mean, he recognizes this fact. He knows Jesus when he comes, but I'm not sure he knows the whole story yet. Uh, and, and here's kind of the case I'm going to make today. He, he initially, he, Jesus asked for baptism, and John resists. Now, I think it's interesting that if John thinks that Jesus is who, who Jesus really is, why would the first command that Jesus ever gives him why would John say, uh-uh? He doesn't think he's worthy. Now let's, let's, let's keep kind of spinning the story here, okay? Matthew 3, 15. Okay, John relents. Jesus says, and here's why. Jesus says, we need to do this in order for me to fulfill all righteousness, he says. Now, I don't pretend to be a theologian or understand that completely, but, but my understanding of it is something like this. Jesus is setting a pattern for you and me. In other words, if he's going to ask you to repent and be baptized, he wants you to know that he's willing to do that too. I, I think there's part of that. I think there's part of that that he's setting a pattern. So if 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 we, 20 centuries later, are thinking, is baptism essential? Now, baptism won't save you, nor will any other thing you do. But if we're contemplating 20 centuries later, whether or not uh, when the pastor says, you know what, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to be baptized. If, if we're thinking about that, well, maybe not for me. 
then I'm going to go back all the way back to this scenario and say, well, Jesus, who really didn't need to be baptized, was to set a pattern for me. Now, I find something intriguing here. And I don't want to press more into the story than is there. But I, is there, if, if, I just had to ask myself this question. Is there an issue in your life where you are currently resisting Jesus' voice? Like John did. He gets to the front of the line. I need you to baptize me. John says, oh, no, no, no. Is there anything going on in your life where the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's time to step up and you're saying, not now, no. What, what I want to encourage you with is that some wonderful things may be just on the cusp of being revealed to you as they were in John's life. If you will quit resisting and relent to the voice of this, in the, to the call of the voice of the Spirit of God. Instead of pushing back, if you'll just, just try it, just in faith, say, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm scared to death, but okay. Okay. Can I tell you something? The Lord's peace will follow that. And it may not be easy, whatever it is he's asking you to do, but I guarantee you his peace will follow it in some way. When you quit resisting the voice of the Spirit of God and relent, as John did here. Now, Let's look at the next little scene here. John relents. Okay. Um, now, Matthew 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a and mighty Okay. John, he relents. He does what the Lord asked him to do. He baptizes him. When he comes out of the water... All right? John sees the Spirit, and you notice in your outline I capitalized S there. The Spirit of God rests on Jesus. Now, there's something going on here. Um, as John tells the story here the next day, um, look at verse... Um, Look at verse 31 and 32. I didn't recognize him so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing, but, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Baptism had to do with Jesus coming on the scene. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he who... He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptized in the Holy Spirit. We'll deal with that, the, the implications of that in just a minute. But the idea is when the, when the Spirit rests on Jesus as a dove, whatever John thought previously, his mind is completely clear now. This is the one. This is the one. That's why the next day he can say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Catch that? Okay? It's, this is wonderful. John sees the Spirit rest on Jesus. And then in verse 6, John, I think you were going to read that one again. Verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well 
I don't know who all heard this, but the writer, is his implication here is that heaven's voice, God's voice, confirms the sonship of Jesus. Now, by the way, if you're ever kind of looking for, okay, I don't know what to think about the Trinity, and I don't know exactly what to think about the Trinity sometimes. I, I find, I think it's really difficult to explain something that, that's eternal and infinite uh, with my little finite mind. All I know is this, right here in, in John 3, 16, I mean John 1, 16 and 17, the Son has been baptized. The Spirit lights on him. Capital S, the Holy Spirit. And the Father recognizes all this and, and thunders his approval. All three members of the Trinity are right there doing their thing. That's one of those places where you can kind of say, okay, they're, they're all three doing something kind of different, but they're all three involved, okay? Now, I hope I didn't just destroy your theology right there. Okay, now, so that's, there's this kind of wonderful sequence of events. Let me go back to verse 32 in John 1. John testified saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water, who is that? God, said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, he is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. That's the, the testimony of John. John's cleansing, the Bible's going to say here, was only temporary. Jesus' cleansing is going to be eternal. And it's implied in, in what um, happens in the second chapter of Acts that in Peter's sermon when he refers to that from, from uh, back in Joel 2. Um, it, it, it's just implied all through the Gospels that Jesus' cleansing won't just be temporary, but it's going to be eternal, and it will be for all. This is the day John has been waiting for since he was minus three months old. Have you waited for something a long time? John's 30-ish. He's been waiting that long. And this is what he's been waiting for. This is him. And so he can't wait the next day to say, Behold, the Lamb of God. He's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what you and I need to understand is according to the claims of the gospel, John, this John, the Baptist, is the ultimate witness to the claims of Christ. Okay? Uh, well, we don't have time to go there, but if you would read in Matthew 11, you'll read Jesus' testimony about the importance of John the Baptist in the whole scheme of things. He's going to say, there's no one greater, no prophet greater than John the Baptist because he had this revelation from God that he would know when the time came that the Messiah would be here. He'd been heralded, heralding, sorry, heralding his coming. And now he recognizes him as the dove lights on him. He's waited for this all his life. And here's my two questions. And I'm going to refer back to John 129 in just a second. Here's my question. Remember I said John's cleansing was temporary and Jesus is eternal. It sounds like to me that it's important that I receive Jesus' cleansing. What do you think? My question is, have you received his cleansing? Can I tell you something? 
It's all important. Have you received? Have you received his cleansing? That's an all important question. I'm going to tell you this. If you've tried this on your own, if you've tried to kind of work out, um, uh, kind of just get better, you know, go to some self-help, self-help thing or read every book you can read, self-help on the shelves, and you still feel kind of crummy. I want to ask you to try to surrender to the voice inside your heart that's saying, why don't you just let me take your life? Can I tell you? There is a cleansing that accompanies that that's unlike any other. And according to John, it lasts forever. Have you received his cleansing? Look at verse 29 and we'll finish. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We said here just a moment ago that there's no one in all of Scripture whose testimony is more important than John's. My question to you and me is, what is your life a testimony to? John's work, his words, his baptism, all pointed to Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. My question to myself, to you, is, does your life say it's true? Oh, if I want anything in my life, I want my life to point to Him. If I want anything in my life, I want it to point to the fact that what I believe is true. Does how I live my life point to the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Will you join me in this journey? Let's go to John 14 next week, okay?